Hello, people that listen to podcasts, and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a pop punk and emo pop retrospective. We have a title today. Mm -hmm. Nice. I'm Elaine, and with me, I'm Fletcher. And I'm Adam. And you've got a song this time. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> can, I, can I get a refund? <laughs> no refunds. Nope. 20 years later, the deadline has passed. Damn it. <laughs> it was only an infant when that song came out, though. Well, that's, that's the point. You, you don't make songs for adults. You make songs for kids, so they grow into them. Uh. I got one about murdering Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> Damn it. That's so much cooler, though. <laughs> well, it's named after the artist's dead father. Yeah. Anyhow, welcome again to the first real episode of our retrospective of uh, pop punk and emo pop. Uh, if you want a slight summing up of what this podcast is, we have really poor judgment. So we decided to gather about 500 pop punk and emo pop records from 1999 to 2013 using a criteria of um, just looking at the Billboard charts of 100 hot singles and 200 most-selling records, and just looking at everything that was tagged as pop-punk or emo-pop, putting it in a big spreadsheet, ordering it from least recent to more recent, and just, we are going to listen to all of them and talk about them on, on a podcast. Because, again, because it's interesting. It's interesting to look at past pop trends and also, like, I don't, I don't have any other reason why we're doing this. It's just fun. Uh, yeah, this is our first real episode. We had uh, episode zero before where we sort of explored what punk was uh, in the 90s. Uh, we're going to start with the Blink-182 record, NM of the State, which is pretty much where pop-punk became a big, like, pop thing before then it was still not necessarily underground but still like fairly like localized fairly not particularly huge but blink 182 just like exploded the whole genre and after this record everyone tried to sound like blink 182 this is the first time i've listened to this album and i can definitely see how this shaped a lot of bands i avoided through this time period <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it did shape a lot of band that I like. I mean, this record, looking back, it's, like, massively influential, not just on, like, the punk of the 2000s, but even today we hear the ripples of uh, this record being, you know, whatever. I was going to say a complex sentence, and then it flew out of my head, but you know what I mean. This, this thing, other people listen to this thing and may think like this thing, mm -hmm. you know. It was a trendsetter. Yeah. So they, You could say that they were influencers. I don't think we can <laughs> use that word about people in the 2000s. 
They were innocent. They didn't know better. <laughs> YouTube didn't exist at the time, I think. Did YouTube exist at the time? No. No. I believe didn't. it's only 10-ish years old. I thought YouTube hmm. came around in like 2006, 2008. Probably, yeah. So how we're going to do this is going through... Especially, this will be a bit more lengthy because it's the, every time we first encounter a band, we sort of need to give a bit of background. And then we can go into what happens in the actual record. So, yeah, so first of all, before we start, what is your relationship with this band? Have you all fan at the time? Did you hate them? Were you not alive at the time? Which I don't think Adam was. <laughs> Uh, no, this came out in uh, 1999, so I was an infant at the time. Hmm, that's fair, that's fair. And at this point in time, I knew they existed because I live in SoCal and these guys were a pretty major act, but I remember being very put off by a lot of their vibe and some stories from the era that aren't mine to tell, so I dodged this... One of my kid sisters loved it. I had to... I think they were on one of the warp tours I had to escort them to. Ugh. Um. And yeah, I'm not going to pretend in any way that I am not better than every member of this band. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, uh, I was also pretty small when this record came out, but I can remember uh, liking it a couple of years later when I was had like awareness of the world around me then again english is not my native language so i you know i liked it because it was catchy uh, at the time i didn't know english so i was like huh wonder what these things are about they look funny so i didn't discover blink 182 until you know after youtube had been invented for sure i want to say it was uh, late middle school early high school and the only song that they did that I knew was What's My Age Again? And that's it. So we're not going to delve deep into origin stories unless they're particularly interesting because like most of the band's origin story is just like this person went to this high school, this person went to this high school, they made the music, then met this other person who went to this other high school and they made another music, which is not particularly riveting. But I'm going through the basic of how Blink-182 came to be. They formed in Poway, California, and they were originally named just Blink. And uh, yeah, and this was also when all of the bands, punk bands, were from California, so we're still... I think we'll see a more varied provenance of people as we move more towards the mid-2000, but for now it's just like, all of these people were from the, the, the punk state. California, the punk state? I assume so. Everyone is from there. Anarchy! Anarchy! Yeah. Yeah, that, that's pretty much the, the feel there. <laughs> the two main guys who stayed through the through 
well, not since now, because Tom DeLonge is now, I think, gone from the band, but, you know, for the historic run of the band were Tom DeLonge and Mark Hoppus, which pretty much were just like Blink-182 themselves, Mr. and Mrs. Blink-182. But there was a different drummer at the time, which was Scott Raynor, who eventually was booted out because he had drinking issues and was replaced with Aquabats drummer Travis Barker, who like is now their iconic drummer and like in every fucking pop punk collaboration since then Travis Barker is there. He played for fucking Machine Gun Kelly for some reason. Really? Shrug emoji. Yes. Travis Barker is probably the most talented member of this crew, but that might just be because he has more practice than all of them by about half, given that he will do any work he is asked to. (laughs) That is fair. I never noticed Travis Barker's drumming before now, but I tried to pay more attention to it because it was pretty much the change between the previous record and this record. I really like him. It's like, he has a lot of energy, has some interesting things that he does. Like, it's not the, you know... He's no Neil Peart, but he's not a bad drummer. Anyhow, their first widely available published music is their demo tape Buddha. I will generally ignore these things, but if you search on Spotify, this is actually available to listen to you. It was before their actual first record. It's pretty much the same songs, just with worse recordings. And it's pretty rough. I don't recommend listening to that specifically. After that, they actually got like a deal with Cargo Music, which is a small California-based publishing label. And they recorded with their money the first record, Cheshire Cat, named after the Alice in Wonderland cat for some reason. Hmm. Buddha was recorded local to me growing up. And in fact, I was in school out in Santee where the Doubletree Recording Studio would brag about Blink-182 got their start here. So everyone I knew with a band in high school wanted to try and get some studio time there. Huh, interesting. They recorded Buddha in one day and it's supposed to be like a demo tape and whatever, but it sounds like garbage. I mean, it's not, you know... Not, we're not we're not talking like Brian Eno producing you. It's, uh... No, we're talking the guy who had a Cadillac in high school and didn't know how to shift gears, so he would try and get it up to fifth between every stoplight, but you'd hear screech. <laughs> uh, I might have gone to high school with that guy. <laughs> True story. <laughs> I am so glad we have you on this podcast. (laughs) Agreed. I don't have many of these stories for every band we're going to cover, but there's one or two. Okay. (laughs) Anyhow, so both Cheshire Cat and the next records, they're more punk than, you know, what we'll see in uh, Enemy of the State. They're more tied to skater punk. They still have this pretty rough, aggressive edge. But we do see the beginning of the sound of Blink. We do see some, like, quiet noodling on the guitar. Uh, It's not, like, still three chords, but sometimes you just go quieter on those three chords rather than just 
slamming them with a hoe for three hours. Very, very juvenile. It's very juvenile in a way that they'll tone way down with the next records, including songs about people farting sex toys out of their butts. It's it's unbearable. It's unbearably unfunny. The intro to Does My Breath Smell is just like... It's like sort of this guy complaining about girls not liking him. And I would say that might be the one thing they ever got close to being funny. But listening to the other of their songs, I am not sure they were actually making a parody or and not just being completely sincere about being like, they're obnoxious. I don't know. I could not tell you. So, uh, during the recording and release of Cheshire Cat, every member of Blink was still in high school, which sort of tracks with that amount of humor. Eventually, their band became Blink-182, because as they were on the rise, they learned that an Irish electronic producer had the name Blink and had beat them to it by a while. It's just funny to me that they chose 182, because that's just like when you go on like a forum and you want to register your nickname and it's not available, and that's, like, what they will recommend you. You can try. You can try. Actually, the moon, two. Actually, the moon, 122. Actually, the moon, 1,122. <laughs> and that's just, like... I feel it's the same attitude. It's just, like, we'll just stick a random name on the back of the, our name here. Yeah, the lawyer put name. a sheet in front of them that said, you can be Blink-182, Blink-the-pink, Blink... <laughs> and they had to check a box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They should have picked Blink the Pink. It would have been much classier. And then they could have made a thing about mm, it's about yeah. vaginas. So in the meantime, <laughs> oh dear. This is when they start uh coming into their own. They're getting some featured status on the Warp Tour, and then they get a deal with MCA, an actual record label, and start production on their second album Dude Ranch. Yeah, Dude Ranch is definitely more polished than Cheshire Cat. It doesn't sound like they're... As, as you listen to this record, there is like this scale where they sound less and less like us as you go forward. Dude Ranch, I feel, is the good like middle point between sounding like you recorded this in like a toilet and still sounding like punk. Like punk aggressive, but also like I can hear what the singer is saying, which is like... I would rather not generally with Blink-182, but like, you know, still, you should be able to technically in a like an abstract sense. They tone down the juvenile humor a lot. This will also happen in Animal of the State where you can sort of feel that they, you know, for how much they have, especially if you read interview with them, they have that, oh, we're, we don't give a shit, we're dickheads attitude. You can feel that in this two records, they were they were smart and trying really hard to not be just like booted out by their label because there's no song about someone farting sex toys, so that's an upgrade. But there is a track called Dick Lips. Hmm, yeah, that's fair. There is still juvenile humor, I will see in um, Animal of the State, but there's less of it and it's less explicit. They found a midway point where everyone can be happy aside from us. Oh. <laughs> Here we go, canceling, like, 20-year-old records. That's our podcast. <laughs> you know, again, I have listened to Worst. I had a moment earlier today where it's like, oh, 
as of this week, literally everyone involved on this track I'm listening to has an allegation against them. Cool. Might want to remove this from the rotation. Hmm. We'll get to that, especially if you go into mid-2000 emo pop, throw a stone in the scene, and you find, like, a pedophile. <laughs> yeah, I can believe that. Oh, dear. It's also been a week in terms of a lot of people being talked about and openly discussed as such. So, you know, you too probably have a favorite right now who's got some problems. Hmm. Nods. Dude Ranch was... Uh, played locally around here. I'm sure I've heard tracks off of this, but when I looked at the track list, I couldn't name a single thing or put any kind of name to what I was looking at. So, I'll be honest, the, the first two records are not particularly distinctive. Like, you can hear bits of how they changed their sound in Animal of the State, but they are, they are what you'd expect about a pop-punk, skate-punk band from the time. So if you didn't tell me that they were Blink-182, I could listen to a couple of these tracks and believe they were whoever, you know. Yeah, it's very much got a garage band vibe, but it's coming along. Yeah, anyhow, it was their first commercial success. It was effective and eventually went gold in 1998. And during the heavy touring, the band undertook following the release of the album, internal tensions rose. Again, we mentioned that Scott Raynor apparently had like a drinking problem, so was kicked out of the band. And, you know, they actually hired someone who could play drums, like one of them has to, someone in the band has to know how to play an instrument. Uh, yeah, Travis Barker joined the band and they started going into the Animal of the State phase of their career. So, with them rolling out of a gold record and the backing of their label, Blink started recording Enema, and it was recorded in between a couple of studios under the production of Jerry Finn, who really helped give them that poppy, polished setup that took them from being just another punk band into someone who would appear on the hitmaker of the 2000s, MTV's Total Request Live. Yeah, not to be confused with Jerry Lynn, who is a wrestler. Um, you know, mm. different people. One letter, one letter difference can make a lot of difference. I would love to see Jerry Lynn produce an album, just because I'm curious to what sound he would come up with. I'd listen to it. The cover of the album features Janine Lindemulder, which apparently is a porn actress dressed in a nurse uniform, pulling a rubber glove, which I guess has you know, some like anal implication as far as I'm aware, but I'm not sure. Not my scene. On the back cover, they appear semi-nude uh, with the actress like preparing some sort of injection. It's cheeky. Almost literally. I did found an interesting interview where they were just like calling us out until this podcast even existed like 20 years ago with Tom DeLonge noting that for someone to say that we're sexist, that just shows that they have like two brain cells and they're living in their own little PC world. And no one likes them anyway, and they're just pissed that they were never got into a band. So, let, let, let's just keep that in the back mind while we listen to this record that, you know... That fits me to a T. <laughs> I'm very upset that I'm not in a band, and I only have two brain cells. 
I mean, two is an overestimation for me. Like, most of the time, it's just, like, half. But, yeah. While we were listening to the album, I had comparisons to early Beastie Boys, but they didn't quite have the same turn later. And then I realized, oh, the Beastie Boys had way less of this material. And I started seeing controversies that I had entirely missed back in the day, like a rumor that may have been drummed up by the band or not, where they claimed there was a deal with Playboy to publish backstage nudes of their fans. Playboy claims this did not exist, but there's a whole kerfuffle where Howard Stern got involved. A few acts of the time very much were unhappy with the fact that Blink-182 was suddenly becoming the punk act or the pop punk act because a lot of them were like this is nothing to do with us don't don't call us that don't lump us in with these guys we're not that misogynistic jeez and yeah there's a whole lot of there's just some quotes in here that are real wild like I think it's so much more punk to piss people off than conform to all those veganistic views. That's a real quote that from Tom Dole. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't. I don't even have the youth says. I think that was a reference to the fact that, like, I don't know if that was around that time. I assume so. The whole straight edge movement in punk, but fuck off, Tom Delonge. And now he's a CIA psyop. So hey. Oh dear. Anyhow, we're gonna look at the singles and how they dealt, and then look at the songs more in detail. But uh, there were three singles released with the record. The first one, debuted at the 78th spot of the Billboard Top 100 chart, was one of the few songs in the chart at the time, although I would note that one of my favorite songs in all of humanity, which is LFO's Summer Girl, debuted in the same week and debuted higher at 52. New Kids on the Block wrote a bunch of hits. Chinese food makes me sick. Pure poetry. I remember this track. Uh, anyhow, in the same week that was happening, What's My Age Again by Blink-182 debuted at uh, 78. It's the first single from the record, and you know it did pretty well. It's a catchy tune. The video features the band streaking naked through the streets, which, you know, comedy. They're fun, relatable guys who all naked around streets and the lyrics were very timely in that it was it took the instead of offspring who just went like fuck slackers we're gonna judge you all because we're better than you blink reverted to that you know very green day-ish like slacker appeal being like this is a song about being 20 and sort of like being a fuck up but in a appealing fun relatable way the follow-up single after that was All the Small Thing, which is the song that you probably know from them. It's literally their most successful song. It's a, I think it peaked at two on the top 100 Six, chart. Six. According to your notes. Okay. No, my notes are correct. My brain is not. It picked at six on the Billboard Top 100 chart, making it literally the most commercially successful song they ever made. And and yeah, once again, it's uh, the the video is also pretty humorous. It has them like doing some light parodies of um, music videos at the time. The video is concentrated two thousands. Yeah, you have them like 
making the parodies of the Backstreet Boys video, making parodies of the Britney Spears video with the things. You know, it's very light. There's no actual critique of pop culture. It's just like... Parodying things is fun. Yeah, it's just like we made the same thing, but with silly faces, and that makes it comedy. It's fine. Uh, It's actually very reminiscent of Eminem's The Real Slim Shady video, which had him doing a lot of the same parodic ground hitting videos at the time, Britney Spears, some dress-up, and just directly calling out the same TRL culture that he would be profiting off of by trying to rocket up their charts. Yeah, yeah. It's the, you know, I, I, I don't remember the Eminem video specifically, but this one is pretty much, we're gonna make a video that appeals to, like, people who hate MTV music and people who like MTV music because people who hate this stuff will see this as a critique even if there's not really critique anywhere in the thing and people who actually like this stuff will just like be amused by us dressing up in those costumes it's um you know it's the widest possible net that you can cast casting a wide net is important that way you can catch the most fish and also some dolphins it's fine (laughs) sure I would more have gone with when you start, you probably want to aim broad and then narrow your sound, but that works too. Yeah, they went narrow, narrow, broad. Everyone in the punk scene accused them to selling out, which is, you know, what happens every single time someone makes it to the pop charts. But on the other hand, like, without using words as charts are selling out, they were definitely very mindful of, like, keeping a pop appeal with this record and this whole production, which is not bad, uh, but it is what, you know, it, it is what happened. <laughs> Whether they sold out or not, at least it meant no more uh, sex toy farting songs. <laughs> yes, yes. That's the one upside of uh, willing quantity to influencing all music forever for the next, like, next, like 10 years. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and the third single, which was the one that was did less good in the charts, was uh, Adam's song. Adam? Your track. Anyhow, the record sold a lot. Money, good for Blink, at least. They made a lot of money and built a successful career after that, which means we will see them. And some houses. Probably, yeah, probably some houses. We'll see them after this thing again and again in our project. But, you know, now we come to actually, you know, listening to the record, which we did. And we can talk about it track by track after all of this lengthy background on it. We were supposed to listen to the record? No, we were just supposed to write a whole record and then pretend that it's the Blink-182 <laughs> record and humorously talk about it. Ah, okay. Did you do that? Did you write a whole record? No, I just listened to the one that Blink-182 did. I guess we'll have to talk about that record then. <laughs> So, the record opens with Dumpweed, which has this very iconic, you know, guitar riff line at the beginning, which, again, pretty... It's a thing that repeats, I think, in all of the record. They have, like, the well, again, most of the punk at the time was just, like, taking the guitar, three chords, and hitting it with, like, a hoe repeatedly to make, like, brum sound. 
guitar goes brrrr. Um, the <laughs> Blink-182 are characterized by having lots of melodic lines with their guitar to intersect the quote-unquote heaviest bits. And this is how the record opens, which is like this pretty iconic noodling on the guitar. And yeah, basically influenced all of the music afterwards, because every, every pop-punk band coming after Blink will do this thing. Will do the like cute noodling to the point that you know modern like Midwest emo becomes very influenced even by math rock in that they went what if this noodling but like 20 times more complex and that's how you get like tiny moving parts or whatever when you have a guitarist who knows what they can do with the instrument you get a little more complexity yeah and yeah, you can immediately hear the, the chain from sound. The production is like crisp, it's very pop. The voice of the singers, sadly, is like on top of the mix. I say sadly because I fucking hate Tom DeLonge's voice. <laughs> yeah. Hey, mom. <laughs> yeah. But the production is like really, really good. Like the complete divide from Dude Ranch. Like, the guitars sound really crisp. They don't sound like they're, you know, played through, like, a fan. They actually, you can actually hear the, the, all of the tones. It's, it sounds impressive. It sounds pop. It sounds, like, very vivid. And also, you know, Tom DeLonge. Whoever says we're sexist is really dumb. Also Tom DeLonge. I need, I a, need girl a girl that I can train. I can train. <laughs> yeah. God, he repeats that so much. Uh, my only note on this track is all I'm taking away from this is boy, everything we said about the offspring last week times ten. Uh, yeah. They make the offspring look really good. <laughs> I think the offsprings are worse thematically. I think I enjoy their music better, but I think this track. Yeah, this song this song is specifically about hating women generally with like, you know, that that's just that's just what the song is about. It's just like, oh, mm-hmm. my girlfriend is the worst person ever. I need someone who obeys every my command. Maybe you should get a dog. Yeah. <laughs> they do that comparison in the century, Gary. So you're not original with that comment, Adam, sadly. Satire um. is dead because Blink-182 killed it. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, we, we can, there's a lot of to criticize here, but musically this is, you can start seeing how this shit will influence music afterwards, at least structurally. It's interesting because structurally we're still seeing lots of punk influence, even under the crisp pop production, in that it's not very chorus focused. There's not a big catchy chorus in any, all of the songs. There's like a bit that you can recognize and it's repeated, but it's not, there's not a big chorus. It's like very verse oriented, which is like punk at the time. I listened to this again earlier today and Dump Weed and Don't Leave Me blend together in my head and that they are both just whining about girls set to generic fast guitar. I feel they were a bit more interesting at the time but yes they're both are you know you i'm gonna redeem you fletch this album is very emo (laughs) like 
you 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 got shit for saying that Blinky Simo, but like I didn't remember this album being so much about whining about things, which is not a bad thing. It's just like wow, this is slower and more about you know we're sad and we have problems than I remembered it. But most of the problems are a girl is dating someone who isn't me. I mean, yes, but still, you know, <laughs> that that's what I have later in my notes, that it's just like, ah, the reason this doesn't work is that their problems are dumb. <laughs> mm. I, I did look up by the end of the album, everyone who is on this record was in their mid-twenties, some as late as 25 by the time this came out. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. I mean, it's not great when, like, a fucking 17-year-old dude is whining because uh, girls are dating people that aren't him, but, like, 25? Dude, come on. It really undercut a lot of this. And again, I think part of this is that I'm coming to this as the oldest one on the show, but... Oof, I cannot relate to so much distilled angst at this point. I love angst. Yeah. I don't like this specific angst. I am... Uh, Th- this is a- this counts as angst? Uh, technically. I'm fine. I thought this was just being whiny. I'm fine with depressing music. I love me some Depeche Mode. I grew up on The Cure, etc, mm. etc. Et that's, that's a more depressive angst than a... My mom says I have to clean my room that we're getting here. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Well, Fletch, I have a bad news for you for, like, the remaining 499 records on our spreadsheet. I have some bad news here. I... <laughs> it was nice knowing you, Fletch. If they can have a little more fun about it. I mean, I'm looking forward to when we get to Bowling for Soup. Just because I know they're at least a little goofy. Mm, yeah. Mm. yeah. So you'd prefer, uh, my mom says I have to clean my room. Boink, boink. Yeah. It's the clown nose honks that really make it work. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, also, it should be noticed that the snotty suburban but like clean pop palatable voice of mark hoppus is like watershed moment for punk it's just like we don't have you know people with rough voices screaming anymore we have like this vaguely pretty boy with like a normal voice just clean singing on this thing and it's just like you know has that typical 2000 pop punk voice which is like slightly nasal but no, still like pretty melodic, pretty singy, and you know we'll see much more of this kind of voice and way less than like the Green Day kind of voice moving forward, which is important. I don't love it. I think Mark Hoppus is a better singer than Tom DeLonge. I think both of them lack some energy in their singing. I think don't leave me specifically it's like a song that could work but lacks that oomph that like a good energetic singer could give them but i think the the ending my general summation of this record at the end will always be i don't love it but it's sort of important for how the genre evolves i also think the next track is where this album kicks off these first two feel very we have a minimum we have to put on the album Let's throw in some B-sides. 
Yeah, I mean, Dumpweed is catchy, but yeah. Hey mom, there's something in the back room. Hope it's not the creatures from above. You used to read me stories as if my dreams were boring. We all know conspiracies are dumb. Uh, yeah, the next one is Alien Exist, because... My favorite. We live in a fictional world and Tom DeLonge is like... Discovered aliens, I guess? You should explain this thing, Fletch, to us. Okay, I yeah, I've been, I've been going at this. If anyone doesn't know, a few years ago, Tom DeLonge left Blink-182 and he started devoting his millions towards UFO research. He became this generation's Dan Aykroyd. And very quickly, he suddenly ended up in a partnership with, as they always are, ex-CIA people, and proceeded to suddenly have a bunch of videos that could be leaked out that later had to be admitted by the government in the middle of one of the seven million crises right now. Yeah, that's an actual video. We don't know what it is. So because of all this... I'm very much one of the people who is in the camp that DeLong is now just a CIA psyop to control the message on this because they've given him legitimacy and he's a name and a pretty face. And they can also just manipulate an idiot 40-year-old from SoCal who smoked himself stupid. But this track very much shows that even before he left the band, he was really into conspiracy shit already because there's quite a few lines in these lyrics like your majestic lies and a few of the other things that are proof he's down the rabbit hole in his 20s. Yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully it's just on the rabbit hole of like aliens and not of other more harmful conspiracy, sh conspiracy shit. But, you know. As far as I know, he's not a QAnon head or anything. It's just... Yeah. This guy is an old-school conspiracy theorist. Yeah. You know, sort of, you know, cute. He wants to believe. This, Yeah, this is 1999. This is the X-Files era. This is where you were a cool David Duchovny type if you started going, what's that in the sky? As opposed to now where you, you know, you have an Alex Jones talking about how those children are dead actors. Yeah. Now when you say what's that in the sky, it's just, uh, that's a drone. Go back to sleep. Aliens Exist is probably one of the better tracks on this album, if you ask me. Uh, I would also like to know that at this point you really realize how this is like the Travis Barker show. It's just like, who are this dude singing about this like pretty decent drumming? Why are they there? <laughs> this is, you know, he gives the energy that this record needs. He, he there, there is a there is a reason why, you know, aside from the production, which is very important, but there is pretty much a reason why like. Dude Ranch didn't do as good as this record, and it's because this record has, like, way more energy on the drums, which was something Blink direly needed, because sure as hell, the vocalists are not particularly energetic at any point in the record. And, you know, the production, which is crisp, and it's, like, very palatable, and, yeah, it's good. And then McSist is a good song. I think the bridge of the song, near the end, is where you start, can clearly see structurally how they're still not very much in like 
pop zone, but they're moving away from the skate aesthetic. They're like in this weird middle point that it's almost like way more Midwest emo than anything because the whole song has this, you know, very like building up verses, but rather than leading to a big chorus, they end up leading to like this bridge in the middle. If if you asked me before listening to this record, I will tell you, oh yes, Blink-182, they have like simple like verse, chorus, verse, chorus songs with like three chords, which is true somehow, but also not true because this is, they they have way more focus put on their bridges and on this like slow, you know, spacey moments that seem that's what they're building to with their composition, which is not what I would think generally thinking about Blink-182, but it, it is what this record is, which is weird. But interesting, and you can see, again, how this actually influenced stuff afterwards. And this is where I say the album really takes off, because it's the first thing that doesn't feel like it's just a garage punk band. It's starting to play around with different sounds. It is, again, you get a little bit of space, and it's kind of a story song in that with some different instruments, this could be the track on a prog album. Not a good one, but it could definitely go there. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. This is your favorite song, Adam. I mean, yes. But uh, About uh, this record, that... I'm not accusing you of this being your favorite song of all time. <laughs> oh, God, no. No, I, I just, since, you know, the first time I listened to it was today, I think it's pretty interesting. Although, I think that 90% of that is just that, like, if I had heard this song when I was a kid, I definitely know I would have loved it, because I also believed in aliens when I was, like, you know, a small child. Um, Implying that Blink-182 weren't also <laughs> small childs when they, like, at this time, mentally at least. I mean... I mean, how old was Tom DeLonge when this came out? Mentally or physically? Physically. <laughs> 23, I believe, was my I, that's him. That's still, like, a year older than I am now, so it's like, okay. Like, once we started talking about how old they actually are, I'm like, oh, hmm. Not sure if I like this as much. Yeah, again, big, big bad news about the rest of the music that we look at. It's all, like... 30-year-olds making music that sounds like it's written by, like, fucking 14-year-olds. The whole of this chart that we have. Yeah, like, like that childhood nostalgia of being 14 and watching The X-Files and just being like, but what if the truth is out there? Very fun. At, you know, at almost 22, I'm just kind of like, mm, nah. Yeah, I'm not going to say I'm against the message of it. I just know where this ended up. We don't have time to unpack all that. Uh, and yeah, and before unpacking all that and getting very sad, we move to What's My Age Again, which is one of their big singles. No, Going Away to College. Oh, sorry. I, going I, Away to College. You literally next. forgot this song too, huh? That's my first notes. <laughs> I literally forgot this song until I looked at the track list. Yeah, no, this is, uh, there's nothing much interesting about this song aside from like, again, this is a very Midwest emo record. Like, this is another sad song. This is not about girls. Mm. This, well, this is partly about girls, but it's mostly about, like... Uh, I actually like this. I have the note, probably the first track on the album about human relations not to end up horrible to women. It's a vulnerable young dude being afraid. Yeah, this is a Mark Coppus song. 
he is the least gross of the two. He's the, the one who knows less words of the two, uh, as we'll see later. His songwriting is very simple. Like, God, this dude knows, like, five words. Uh, but, like, it's, it's less gross than Tom DeLonge, so I'll take it. This one made me super happy. It's like, oh, good, there is a maturity to this album. It's picking up. And then I hit the next track. Yeah, see? I love the juxtaposition of, uh, there's this one, and it's like, oh, that's kind of sweet. Like, as far as relationships go, you know, when you're in one of your earlier relationships in life, you know, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm unprepared, but I have this Valentine for you. I hope you like it. And then you get to that next song, and it's just kind of like, uh, nope, there's still assholes who hate women. Oops. Again, I note that this is like very verse-based music. There's no big chorus that it leads up, which is interesting again, because it's more, again, more in line with punk than with pop still. And, but also like, you, we all can definitely see why if you were a punk, you would be like, this dude are selling out, because it's just like, oh, this is like the fourth love song on this record. That's not punk. That's not punk at all. Love is very punk. Whining about how much you hate women... Not punk. So let's talk about that first single, What's My Age Again? <laughs> catchy. We're back to hating women. It is catchy, but this one is the point where it's like, you guys had such a wildly different childhood from me. <laughs> I was a terror as a teen. I got expelled from a school, and there, you know, I have a past, but... I very much hear everything in this song, and it's just like, oh, come on. Really? It's like someone who saw Bart Simpson and thought, that's the rebellious youth, not realizing, A, it's been 12 years since Bart Simpson debuted, and B, he was always just Dennis the Menace ratcheted up one notch, and neither were realistic. But when they try to do their, like, haha, we're funny jerks, they're sort of hampered by the fact that they are actively trying to not be as gross as in Cheshire Cat, because, like, this is, and we'll see that in the Century Gary, too, these are the songs that are trying very hard to be, like, edgy and, like, we're punk assholes, but they don't have quite the graphicness and sheer just, like, you know, asshole face that they would have, like, maybe in Cheshire Cat, so they're, like, sort of middle of the road, Elsewhere on the album, there's a song that, you know, in this vein, goes into some, oh yeah, well, I fucked your daughter, fuck you, moms and dads, turf. And it's still written about in such a sweet, cloying sort of way that I just ended up comparing it in my head to the much harsher Hey Mister by Custom. And it's like, you don't even have the edgelord thing going for you, so why is this here? Yeah. It's a lyrical tantrum. 
this song specifically is sort of like, haha, see how funny and relatable we are. And it's just like, again, like it's that sort of like trying to do that, you know, that Green Day thing of like slackers smoking weed and being sort of fuck ups, but doesn't quite click for me. I mean, but. But Green Day was being slackers and smoking weed and being a fuck-up, which, like, I don't smoke weed and I'm not particularly a slacker, but, like, I can still be like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. You probably know someone who is a Green Day-esque slacker in your day-to-day life. Oh, yeah. And pro- probably you're like, oh, yeah, you know, that dude's all right. Whereas if you know somebody who acts like they do in this song, you're like, oh, God. Get me some pepper spray. I actually think it's necessary to read some of the lyrics here, or at least some of the things that the songs mention. Mm-hmm. Well, it starts with like them going on a date and then just like in the middle of making out, turning on the TV, which is just like, uh, I don't date, but I assume that's not what dates go, how, <laughs> how they go generally. Yeah, that, that, that's not very polite. We started making out, she, and she took off my pants, but then I turned on the TV, which is literally the first couple of lines. Generally, if somebody is getting to the point where they're undressing you, you are either George Costanza or you're getting into that. You, you don't turn on the television. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you wrote this in character, this would be an Offspring song. Oh, yeah, ain't I a little stinker? This is, hey, aren't I so cool? I did everything wrong. <laughs> I'm gonna reclaim it as an asexual here. The, the the main character just got bored because like, oh, this is not entertaining. So, as also an asexual, I'd like to point out that, like, if you're not into that and someone's making sexual advances on you like that, you should probably be like, hey... I'm not into this, instead of turning on the television, because what's that do? That requires social confrontation, Adam. If you turn on the television, you give a clear nonverbal signal that you're not into the, the, the sexy times. That's fair, but also, like, this dude is clearly upset, because he's like, that's about the time she walked away from me. Uh, nobody likes you when you're 23. So he's, like, not happy that she got upset when he turned on the TV. Is that just misunderstood the meaning of Netflix and chill? <laughs> also, 23 way too late to be giving off some of the signals in this song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but here's the th- this is what you were mentioning. All of the things that they're supposed to be like cool and fuck happy are so mild in this song. That's like, uh... Like, I can see a teenager maybe doing some of these things. Like, it's still dumb as hell, but, like, I can see how they might be like, <laughs> I'm so cool. You're 23! Yeah, what's my age again? Yeah, you can't throw out your age when you're doing some of this. You, you When you make it you, and you're not just doing a generic caricature. Then later on, on the drive home, I called her mom from a payphone. I said, I was the cops, and your husband's in jail. The state looks down on sodomy. Which, yeah, phone pranks, very cool dudes. Mm-hmm. Again, juvenile. You know, I'm not going to fault the phone pranks. I'm going to fault the sheer sloppiness of it. You never go with something that someone can turn to the right 
and go, oh, you mean the guy who's right here? Never. Yeah, let's not let's not even touch on the fact that there's a lot of casual homophobia throughout this album, because I'm saving that for the next oh track. Oh boy! Homophobia! We're gonna once again talk about ludonarrative dissonance, because I feel this song is vaguely self-deprecating, but the tone is so, like, chirpy and happy that you cannot help by, you know, thinking that they think they're so cool for doing these dumb things. Mm. That also doesn't apply to this medium. We, I need to look up the actual Latin <laughs> root that you need there. <laughs> I think it's way funnier if I keep calling it ludonarrative dissonance. I'm sorry. You're you're murdering me every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I can't even fully hear what words you two are saying, and I don't think that I'd understand what you were saying if I did. <laughs> Do you want a crash course in two sentences? Sure. Ludonarrative dissonance is what happens when you have the actions of a player in a game mismatch the story. So it's when you're talking about how every life is sacred after you've just plowed through 50 men with a shotgun to get to the cutscene talking about this. Ah, thank I you. I have huge issues about how modern video game journalism uses the term, but this is not the place to get into it. But yeah, uh, it, it's just funny to refer to it as when, like, you know, the musical side of the music it doesn't quite fit with the lyrical side of the music. There is probably a better term for it, but I will refu- I refuse to use it because it's really funny <laughs> using the narrative dissonance for it. Right here in my heart. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Psycho shower scene shit. <laughs> wow, that's not very nice, Ellie. I am known to not be very nice, Adam. That's why I'm here to be the heart of this show. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, this is this is this is their big single, the first big single. It's very unlike most other songs. It's very chorus oriented. That's like the big. It's basically like this that chorus for like four years. And I will give it this. It's a good track. This is a good jam. It's just if you listen to the actual lines. It's catchy. I don't like it as much as the second single. I think the the sappy love song with still some energy uh, where they parody Backstreet Boys or whatever. It's a... Better pop song than this, but it's oh, this right. isn't in my top three on the album, but I think it's a good song. This is a very good summer jam. I mean, as far as the singles go, I like this one better just because I like this one's a jam, and like all the small things just kind of like it's a slow, sappy song, but the melody is just kind of like meh. I like all the small things because it's just like it's the obligatory love song without being like. Without like murdering me with like how boring it is, because you always have with a pop act, you always have to have the obligatory love song ballad, and it always sucks. The all the small thing is actually like okay, it's fine, it's fun, it's listenable. I think all the small things is completely inoffensive in every way. It is tuned and smooth to perfection, in that there is nothing to hook me, not a single rough edge. I personally really like smooth, inoffensive music sometimes. It's just like, hmm, I can appreciate, like, the commercial skill that comes into crafting, like, an inoffensive pop piece. 
And like, that's the appeal of that to me. Mm -hmm. And then from this, which is just like Blink-182 being Bart Simpson getting to like very inoffensive shenanigans, uh, we move... Worst track on the album... I skipped this the first time that I, I was just like, nope. So, you know how we were what? talking about Blue Narrative Dissonance? And I'm sorry, Fletch, but this song is called Dysentery mm. Gary. It's about someone who slips around with people and gives them dysentery, which I don't think is how that works, but okay. And uh, supposed to be sort of like funny and weird, but it also sounds like a very sad song from like, you know from like a Midwest emo band. Like the tune of it is not raucous and funny how this song usually goes. It's just like the production doesn't, it's almost like Jerry Finn didn't know English. So he didn't listen to the lyrics of the song and gave all of the song this like glossy, sort of like vaguely epic, somehow Q2-ish, like, glow to the production, even though the song is about someone having dysentery and fucking people and giving it to them. I don't think that's what this song is about. What is it about? I'm just going from the, like, genius summing up of the thing, but please tell me what do you think this song is about? I'm pretty certain that the lyrics are about how this dude is incredibly sketchy, picks younger women to be with based on some th- uh, some lines. I love the little motions you do with your pigtails. What a nice creation worth another night in jail. Uh, um, yeah, that. But <laughs> the line, he's a player, diarrhea giver. I'm pretty sure it's meant to be, he makes sure to do anal so they have the nasty effects the next day. Uh, okay, I, I was honestly going to the genius. The, your thing that you're saying makes sense. It's not... doesn't make it better. Uh, this is an incredibly unpleasant song. It would be very hard to choose a single stanza of this that is not in some way reprehensible. Yeah. Uh, also good... So all you little ladies, be sure to choose the right guys. You'll come back to me, maybe. I'll shower you with lies. Uh, Just all sorts of friend zone. There's the whole, this guy I don't like is absolutely just, like, trying on mama's clothes kind of thing. All sorts of shit. Dysentery Gary, worst on the album. Also... Again, with the, maybe I need a dog because I hate women. To be f- uh, to be fair to them, I'm pretty sure, you know, this song is about, like, a person that they don't like. It's not about, like, someone who they think is cool, unlike other songs that they made. But, yeah. It's hard to tell because sometimes it's talking about he's a, 
I would like to find him, like, to make fun of him. But then it's like, uh, I'll shower you with lies, want to make a deal, all sorts of things. Yeah. It's it's very wonky, and either way, it's either one guy or two guys, and both suck ass. Yes. Yeah. Again, like, the thing that gets me, though, is just the sound of the song. It sounds like a sad song about being sad, but it's, the lyrics are this thing. It's not... Yeah, it's not even the composition. It's just, like, the production didn't know what the song was about, because... I get it, the, the, the chorus and the verses are like sort of fast and like energetic, but they're produced with sort of like this, this, you know, this delay and these echoes on the song that makes it, make it sound like, I don't know, this is fucking like, you know, what, what's the name of the song? Fun, that band that makes this like sort of like glossy pop indie things, which obviously mm. is like 20 years later, but that's the feel. It's just like, oh, this fast chorus about he's a diarrhea giver has like this like very eerie and like sort of like spacey echo on it. And just like, oh, this doesn't sound like the words that you're saying. None of this sounds like the words that you're saying. I think we can agree it has all sorts of problems with tone on every level. Yeah. Anything else, or can we go on to something more pleasant, like depression and suicide? <laughs> oh, I'll take the depression and suicide for 200, Alex. All right, I think you get to lead in on this one. It's the last time I can make this joke. Okay. So, the next song on the album is called Adam Song. I don't like it. <laughs> just I just don't like it because I dislike sad and depressing things as a person who is sad and depressed for like 80% of my life. But uh, like also, it's just not that good of a song. It's kind of simple. I agree. That's sort of like where Mark Hoppus' songwriting sort of like comes to a problem. It's just like, this is a song about depression. It's also like, I, I know five words and it's really difficult to describe stuff effectively with five words. I'm too depressed to go on. You'll be sorry when I'm gone. It's not a good rhyme nor a good like descriptive like series of words for anything. So... Did you look up how this song came about? It's because two of the three members of the band were dating someone when they were touring for stuff like Dude Ranch, and the third wrote this song because he was single, and so every time they came back from tour, everyone else would just have their girlfriends pick them up at the airport, they'd immediately get to decompress, and he just had to go home to an empty apartment. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the mood. I don't think this thing is, is a particularly effective on making me relate oh, no. to that mood. I think it's a good song. I think it really undercuts it when it leans into the suicide language and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I 
put this in my top three for the album. Not because I think it's an all-time classic or anything, but this has the most distinct sound. This feels like steps toward growing and doing some more songs with meat on them later. I dig it. This feels like we let the drummer do some songwriting and lead on this track, and he took us in a whole new place that none of the others of us thought about. Oh, is this was this was this written by the drummer? Oh, okay. I I, I mean I mentioned that this felt very much like a Mark Hoppus song because it's very simple songwriting, right? Actually, it it wasn't. It was uh, um... shares credits between Delange and Hoppus, so you're right. Okay. Yeah, Hoppus is the one who did not have a partner at the time. Yeah. So yeah. I'm wrong there. I don't know why I said drummer. I don't know. Uh, anyhow, yeah, Hoppus, I mean, again, from what I'm, like, from my experience of this record, Hoppus feels like the best songwriter, but also, like, not the best songwriter. Like, it's both at the same time. It's like, it's, I, I don't think he's particularly good at crafting sentences, but he generally talks about more relatable and interesting themes in his songs. I mean, generally speaking, his, the ones that he has the lead writing on are, like, less misogynistic? Yeah, yeah. He hates women the less between the two of them. <laughs> yeah, like, there's almost like, probably no misogyny in this song. Yeah, this is, uh, I, again, this would come up like, later. I feel there's, when they try these more emotional songs, which, to be honest, is a lot of this record, there are hurdles for them, but I can definitely see how this is just, like, interesting just because it's different. I, I, I think it sort of sucks. I think it does a really poor job at, you know, explaining depression or making it, you know, relatable. In yeah, that, that's that, that's what sticks out to me. It's just kind of like, all right, uh, okay, yeah, I can see that. Um, never thought you'd die alone, okay. 16 held such better days. Wow, you weren't depressed when you were 16? That's weird. Who does that in this economy? Well, that's the thing. There's definitely, I get where it's coming from. I really thought this was a good thing. And then I looked up the story to be like, oh, did one of them know someone who did? Nope. I was just incredibly sad and went full maudlin. And it kind of undercut. But before I do that, I actually thought this was a very good teen angst anthem talking about how you just Everything feels so big, and there's no change. What hope do I have? I remember that when I was that age, when I was 16. That hit the hardest for me of anyone swinging for emotions on this record. That, that's fair. That is yeah, fair. that's fair. And then we move on to, well, another emotional song, although a slightly more fun one, which is the second single which is all the small things.
It's uh, we talked about it. It's an inoffensive pop song. It's good. It's, I, yeah. I will listen to it. It's it's like a good mix of energy and mellowness. It's about you know, I like my girlfriend. She gives me gifts, which means that she is nice. Classic pop structure, repeat the chorus at the end, but you build on up on it in a different way. It's nice. Also, there's some nice na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na's uh, in there. It's got a very chipper tone to it. Like I say, it's polished to the point where there isn't a single rough edge on it. And that's why I think it's the most forgettable single. It is also the one that did the best, and you can see why. This is just like radio fodder. It's like, oh, yeah. place um, one in a radio. It's good. Fletch. Yes. If this encourages you to like it anymore, this is apparently one of Tom DeLonge's uh, least favorite songs that they've done, and he doesn't know why people still listen to it. <laughs> Here's the cool. thing. I'm with him on that. I feel like you have different reasons for it, though. I think so, but I think it probably comes down to the same thing, which is, yeah. This is a pop tune aimed at the radio. Uh, a lesser band, this would have been their one hit. But these guys had some stuff working for them and they refined things. Also, again, to note uh, Travis Barker being like, good. The, there's a really nice bit at the end where they repeat the chorus and there's some like cool variation in how he does the drums on the last bit. And he's just like, oh, this person knows what they're doing that's refreshing <laughs> that's true that is very nice in the final part where we're repeating the lyrics but he's really bringing the energy so it's not just you should have cut this off sooner yeah it, it, it makes it work again this is like the a great travis barker jerry finn collaboration with some dude that are naturally singing over it uh yeah. Again, the production I, is good. Once again, it's very pop. Uh, I didn't mention it on Adam's song, which had this very, like, very U2-y production. Again, lots of, like, spacey, echo-y stuff going on, making songs feeling bigger and more important than they actually are. But, yeah, there's lots of good work put into this record. It's just, you know, content-wise, there's a drop. Do you want to come to a party, my friends? After all the small things, we go into the, the party song, which is a basic ass punk song about bro-y partying. After we got done saying, Aw, my girlfriend's so nice. I like her. We're back to, I hate women and they try too hard. I wrote two things down. This is one horn away from being a ska track. I think this might be the fastest song on the record. Uh, the Genius mentions that this is so fast that they never played it live until 2011, which is just funny. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm definitely correct on that then. And I could not make heads or tails of the lyrics, so I simply wrote, I don't know what the point is, but I'm pretty sure it's misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Can that be the new title of our podcast? <laughs> We can make that an episode title. <laughs> I don't know if you're having a state or. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like they go. He goes to a party and it's like broy and shit, and he drinks. The track does mention it's a ska band, so you know. Yeah. Uh, 
and 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 then he like gets with a woman, but she's evil or something. I don't know. The thing that confused me most and why I couldn't get a read on it is that he says some girls try too hard, and his example for this is she wasn't wearing panties to a party. It's a very baffling statement to me because if you're going to a party to hook up, that doesn't seem like trying too hard. That seems like just announcing your intentions. Yeah. Like, it would be trying hard if you picked out some, like, really expensive, fancy, like, designer uh, lacy underwear. Sure. But, like, I don't know. Not wearing any underwear? That's, like, literally the least work you could possibly do. Yeah, that's I not, that's not yeah. even trying. That's just, like, I forgot underwear at home. I saw a guy liked across the room. I hiked my dress a bit. He gave me a look, and I beckoned him on. That's it. That's pretty clear. That's not trying yeah. too hard. Yeah, that the, that's just being like, hey, this is what, I, this is what I'm looking for tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Good for her. This is also a lot closer to a bit of me growing up at this time, which is why this very much just makes me go, no, no, this tracks. Now, see, she should have turned on the TV at some point. That would have made it all right. Gotcha. Oh, this is the prelude to What's My Age Again. Okay. We're starting to put together the Blink-182 Extended Universe. <laughs> Turns out this is a okay. concept album with like a whole story told in like different parts. It's broken. time to get a thumbtack board out. Uh, aliens exist is in the center. That has to be the middle. That's where everything shifts gears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It ends in Adam's song. Clearly. Mm, yeah. Mm, yes. <laughs> I didn't. And the girl is secretly an alien, and that's why she wasn't wearing underwear. She just didn't know. Yep. <laughs> On our planet, we wear these one-piece dresses. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyhow, this is quite unremarkable. It's just like a fast song about being bro-y. Just like, this yeah, This is my number three in that top three I was talking about. I okay. did. Okay. It's, okay. It's this close to being a good little quick ska song. I mean, you, you've got, like, quiet noodling instead of horns, which is sort of their signature. Fast, 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 fast. Fast, 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 fast. I think it's the fact that it's so distinct among all the tracks on this album that makes it work for me. Yeah, no, it's the faster one. It's the, the more punk. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we are now going into Mutt. I don't remember anything about this one. This is an easy one to forget. That's my hot take. Yeah, it's about sex and girls. Like most of the songs oh, on this no. record. It's also inspired by a surfer. And also, like, I'm going to say, the only thing that I remember about this song is the funny thing. Is that there's a bit in the song which is clearly like, you know, a haha gays joke. Where they mentioned that this guy liked to ride a bike without the seat. And Genius goes on to, like, this huge rant about how, like, the genius annotation, well, this is actually how he discards his seat, like, he likes to discard things in life, and just like, no, no, genius, it, this is Blink-182, this is a gay joke, <laughs> this is a haha butt sex thing. Yeah. 
I did note that this was the track I picked out a lot of the guitar and drum work on, and it's probably because this has some of the longest silences of the vocals. Hmm, yeah, that's fair. It, it's not amazing, it's very forgettable, but that was where everything sort of clicked for me, and I had some fun with this. Yeah, yeah I, for me, for me, it's the opposite. This is where it starts losing steam. I feel, you know, I like pop punk from the 2000s. I feel this record is sort of hampered by the lack of, like, big choruses and then will become signature as the genre moves on. It's fun, but also, like, at this point, I'm just like, oh, I really need something, some hook to keep me in because this ain't doing it. Speaking of not doing it. I wish it didn't have to be so bad. It might be inappropriate because you're the way your bank is struck, oh yeah. I wish it didn't have to be so bad. But I'd play with fire to break the ice. And I'd play with a nuclear device. This is something I'll regret. We're doing what well, I can't get. I wish it didn't have to be so bad. Oh, I like When the Clear is my favorite song of the record. Really? Really? Okay. Um, I think it should have come before, because at this point I was very tired of this record, but it's the one that I feel exemplifies the sound the most. It's sort of like nice, well-structured. I don't know the lyrics. I don't always care about the lyrics. I don't remember what it's about. This is the one that is very much... I wish you didn't like Chad's I'm a Nice Guy. This would be my worst on album if Dysentery Gary wasn't on this. Very repetitive lyrically. It's got some content that was leaving me going, yeesh. Uh, this is my second worst in the album. Yeah, I don't think this is the most gross song that we had on this album, though. I mean, aside from Dysentery Gary, but I think even like, you know, this is just like, this guy is sad, and the girl is with someone else. It, it's not gross, it's just very nice guy, which is, yeah. like, a different kind of slimy. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't necessarily even claim to be that nice. I'm gonna fight you on this one. It's just, like... It's... No, no, no. I mean, to, talking about how you're gonna take a girl out on a boat because you ha can afford to have a boat and like okay. yeah it's straight up a whole song of i'm better than your boyfriend why won't you leave him mm, that's fair i mean he see because i mostly read the, because the chorus is like but i'd play with fire to break the ice and i'd play with a nuclear device there's something i regret blah 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 like the main chorus seems like the main problem here is not even that the girl won't date him it's just like he has too much anxiety to approach him or, or approach her or whatever. You know, okay. I'm not feeling it. Okay, I can see that read. Because the nuclear device thing is the only thing that really doesn't play into it in yeah. my read. But the three date theory and the another guy part is no, it's gross. way it's gross. too on the nose for me. Yeah, yeah, no. This thought implies that they've had three dates, which means that he's clearly approached her. Yeah, yeah that, that's what confuses me, because the chorus is, uh, feels very much about being like, I, I'm scared about doing this, and blah, blah, blah. And the know. other thing is, it might be inappropriate because either way our band gets dropped kind of implies this is trying to go for someone who works at the record label or something. 
even if I get with you, it's going to hurt the band. I didn't remember that line. Yes, that's the generous explanation. I can think of worse explanations, but I'll take that one. Yeah, I'm just saying that there's so much, but I'm a nice guy energy in this track. This is easily my least. That is fair. I really like it musically. I think it has like this nice, starts with like this nice verse. It has like this very distinctive guitar riff. The vaguely melancholic tone, but like good energy on the verse. I think this is my favorite from this record. I think it, the only problem is the placement and the lyrics, but mainly the placement because it arrives after a slew of songs that sound very similar and sort of tire your brain. It is, again, it's not the worst, and my complaints about it are just the lyrical content. I think it's perfectly fine as a track, which is a thing I'm sure I'm going to say multiple times throughout this show, but <laughs> it definitely was off-putting enough to rocket it to the bottom for me. Yeah. If if it's your first album and you're getting all this out there and you react to anyone talking about maybe knock that off, hey, whatever. The first album is something that you always spend... 10, 15 years writing the songs on and refining. The second one is the stuff you have to trial by fire in six months because they want to follow up. Let's let's see what happens after they're out of the things that have been kicking around in their head for a decade. This is their third album, Fletch. Okay, your first big album. You know okay. what I mean. <laughs> Yes, that's fair. We know what they started with. Yeah. All right. All right. Theory this out is, the window. Fuck it. This is growth for them. Flash. God, yeah, I did not go back, but you're right. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we end up with Anthem. Not the one that you would know from the same genre. Uh, another Anthem. It's another Hoppus song about being sad and emo-ish. And the problem with Hoppus sad songs is they're just like sad emo-ish song about teen bros. And I don't have much, you know, to relate with that. It's, they, they just end up sounding a bit silly, angry about the, I don't know, being grounded by the parents or something. There's a line that's just like, my mother and father hold the keys. And it's, don't need a mom, dad, slave drive song. This is straight up, I'm running away from home, fuck you, mom and dad, to end the album. Yeah, but it doesn't have any the, the weight and, like, actual seriousness that, like, a song like that should have. Also, you're 23. It actually goes real dark in places that I don't know are intended. Give, give me some examples. Uh, home show, mom won't know, run out the back door. He's passed out on the floor, third time been caught twice. Forgive our neighbor, Bob. I think he humped the dog. Oh. So, maybe, based on where the chorus goes, it's, I'm underage, I got drunk out of the liquor cabinet, but I got laid, and mom and dad have grounded me. Maybe it's, oof, uh... Dad's, pa- you know, dad or stepdad's passed out again from drinking. I'm, I mostly read it with the first, uh, you know, interpretation. I, I didn't talk about the second one. Just like, I mostly read it as like this, you know, this is a teen who drank and his parent grounded him. And like now he's whining and wants to run away, which is, uh, you know, whatever. 
the 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 production makes it tries really hard to make this sound dramatic. It's just like this is the big track of the record. This is like the big finale. We're going to go all out with like the all of the effects. Eh, doesn't quite work for me. I mentioned earlier customs. Hey, Mister came to mind listening to a track. This is the one. Okay. <laughs> it's again. That's a much angrier version of "Screw You, Parents." It has a lot of the same content as this song lyrically. It just leans in on it to make you make it very clear. This is a dirt bag. If it uh, helps with our interpretation, according to Genius, there was a note left on the track saying that Anthem is a song they wrote about having a party, um, your parents coming home and finding out. All right. So, yeah, it is just the kids got drunk and did some stupid shit. And I want to run away. <laughs> the stereo was broken. There was a fight. There was blood everywhere. It was so funny. Been at those parties? Regret those parties. <laughs> I'm fine with energetic broish songs about bros being bros. I am fine about songs about angsty teens. I don't think the two might meet very effectively, at least for me. I don't think you can like have a song about like a, a angsty bro that's just like not. I mean, if they wanted to write a song about the party, uh, where there was a stereo broken and there was blood everywhere, like, in earnest, I'd probably like that song, because yeah. that's, like, a funny, interesting story that would fit with their, like, funny punk rock vibes. Yeah. This is just kind of like, ah. Uh, if you want that well, song. sucks to be you. That song is the Beastie Boys' egg raid on Mojo, where they got turned away by a bouncer at a club, got pissed, and were just in a teen rage, so they went to the convenience store, bought a dozen eggs, and just ran by and pelted the guy because he wouldn't let them in. All right. And it's also done in half the time of Anthem. <laughs> yeah, but, nice. but it's the final song. It has to be long because it has to be big and has to be overproduced and has to be this big thing. Yeah. I'm just saying five years earlier, Garbage made sure that every final song on their albums was always the slow, moody one that made you really feel that gut punch. And I like that more. Uh, yeah, and this closes the record. That that was quite quite a journey. Closes the record at, what, like 34 minutes? 35 minutes, 17 seconds. Feels I think this is a constant for a bunch of this record. They feel like double their length because they're very samey. Yeah, I think that's another reason Party Song worked for me is that it has a speed and it gets in and out. And yeah. some of these really drag for being short songs. You always need to mention that like I don't love this record. I'm okay with a lot of it, but also like it's an important record. Like, this record influenced a bunch of stuff coming afterward, as we mentioned. Uh, part of my final takeaways is that this is just, like, way emo-ish than I remember it. So, like, again, like, Fletch was right, I guess. Blink-22 is officially an emo band. Like, there's a lot more of, like, love songs, songs about being sad, uh, verse-based music that, like, builds up to a bridge, which is, like, a typical, like, structure of more, like, this emo more than punk. I think there's a huge problem in the singers, especially Tom DeLonge. I don't like him. I like him even less when they apply, like, 40,000 filters to his voice, and the little amount of energy that he had gets sapped out by the, the, the overproduction on it. 
And I liked the production otherwise, but I think the combination of that production and that singing just like brings a lot of tracks down from what they could be. Mm-hmm. I look forward to seeing where they go from here. And I did just click ahead to see their next studio album because I'm going, all right, how do you follow up after this? This is where you make it big. And I was immediately horrified to learn track one on their next is called Anthem Part Two. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was nice knowing us. However, I am real curious how far into emo they go when one of these tracks is called Stay Together for the Kids and another is Happy Holidays, You Bastard. So I'm intrigued. Maybe we're getting into some of that goofiness. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting record. It's, it's way more interesting than I was expecting it. Especially by listening to Dude Ranch and Cheshire Cat, I was expecting like, you know, bro-y, like, Dirty jokes, just like fast, fun choruses and stuff. But it's not really that. It's like more, there's definitely like the pop appeal to it, right? That they they wanted to have. There's like more middle of the road lyrics, lots of love songs, lots of songs about being sad, and like this very, uh, this still very like verse oriented songwriting, which is interesting, very influential, but it's not quite where the genre will get eventually. I expected a very Green Day-ish, young, energetic album. And you're right, this had a lot of emo. This was pretty slow by and large. This was a glossy, shiny pop in the pop-punk album. Yeah. And I don't mind glossy, shiny pop. I I think this could have used with better choruses, like more catchy stuff. But I think the production is a high point of this. The production is like very, very on point, very like... We're gonna make stars out of you. And to make stars out of you, we got to make sure that people can actually listen to your stuff with like very radio oriented production. We're not going to get, since they're still listed as the songwriters on the next album, smoother, more sanded off lyrics yet. But I will be curious to see if that changes as this band goes on. I was expecting something more fun just because the last time that I listened to What's My Age Again, I was like, you know, 15 and it was pretty funny and uh, it wasn't that fun. Mm, that's fair. <laughs> like, I, I think that I like this album a lot if you remove all of the vocals. I mean, that and the lyrics for just about every song. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I have to close with this because I'm continuing to just look at stuff from Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Uh, apparently, prior to recording this, when they were writing everything, they were listening to a bunch of bands before in the two weeks prior, like Fugazi and Refused. In that Spin interview, they're shitting all over the very concept of Fugazi. They play for only five bucks to Long Marvels. They can easily go 15 and sell out every venue and make shitloads, but that's not what they want to do. Personally, I think that's stupid. Well, they got some legs on them, buddy. (laughs) God, I don't think there is a sink. I will be amazed if anyone still alive ends up more hated in this show than me and Tom DeLonge. (laughs) 
Fuck he's that no, guy. He doesn't sound like a very <laughs> nice person. Man, every bit we learned about this guy. I have a rival and we're one episode in. <laughs> just just the thing. It's if if he is the worst we come across, that'll be great. If there's somebody worse than him out there, I will literally cry and despair of the world that we live in. I guarantee we will find someone worse, but it's going to be for sex pest reasons. There's a difference there, though. Like, that is always abhorrent, whereas, like, being a douchebag is just kind of like, there are different shades of douchebag. Yeah, I mean, mean, I'm positive about Animal of the State. I think it's a... I think I liked Americana, like for personal enjoyment reasons. Yeah, I think reason, I liked Americana. I, I liked Americana best. The lyrics are worse than Americana, but... The, the, I would just, put on Americana over Enema of the State again. I feel like the lyrics are easier to ignore in Americana, just because, like, it does have that fun energy to it. Whereas, like, when you're sitting here listening to Enema of the State, it's just kind of like, oh, uh, okay, I guess I'm listening to these lyrics. They are inescapable. But again, I, I think the musical styling, the production were interesting and influential, which I think are the two things that matter here. And I like Travis Barker at the drum. I think he's good. Yeah. I think he, he gives energy to the band that Dialy needs. Uh, it also makes sense why, like, every punk band ever at the times that was already established hated this record, because, yeah, this was very much pop, pop's pop. Yeah, and this was our foray into Blink-182's influential, fundamental album for the genre, Enemy of the State, and the first issue, episode, the first episode of this podcast. Next up, I I don't quite have the list ordered yet, but it's probably gonna be A Place in the Sun by Lit. Yeah. Yeah, uh, And yeah, and this this was it. This was our episode. Again, we'll come back next week. I'll probably release this weekly, but whatever. Production stuff. Not gonna mention it on air. So we'll come back next week with another episode, which I would not mention now. Uh, I will normally give you like a website here, but I haven't bought a URL yet, so we'll do that later. Update. Our website is getoutofthistown.com and you can find us on iTunes and all other things that we would have set up by the time you're listening to this. So this was the episode and I enjoyed the record. It was fine. And if you'd like to support us, we don't have a Patreon, but we are the co-owners of a theme park named Our Little PC World. So come and visit us. It's right across Marxist Avenue. And have a good day. Don't worry about social distancing. You'll be the only one there. Not like I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my flight like a pop pocket and get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify.